Google Fiber TV, Fall TV viewing numbers, SVOD churn and the OTT TV executive shuffle are the subjects for our podcast in a busy week for internet TV. We dig into the issues and find plenty to disagree on. This is Will Richmond from Video News, and that was Colin Dixon at the top. It has indeed been a pretty busy week, Colin. A lot of different stuff going on, right? It has, Will, and I, I think that's probably behind our decision not to focus on just one story this week. I think we're going to look at four in detail. But before we get to those four, we really should follow up on our podcast last week, which of course was about the fight between YouTube TV and NBCU. And it looks like, uh, even though they passed the seventh hour, they actually did get resolution, right? Uh, it looks like they did get resolution. Um, they were they did a little extension, and then very quickly after that, announced that they had a new agreement in place. And I can only say, if my inbox is a reflection of the broader... <laughs> environment of YouTube TV subscribers, there were a whole lot of people out there breathing a sigh of relief that they were not going to have to scramble to figure out how to get their favorite NBC Universal network. So um, yeah, they kind of averted the, you know, going over the cliff together, which is good. But of course, we have many more fights ahead still. This is a harbinger of lots more of these kind of scratchy um, situations to come because yeah, yeah. I, I read um, I read this morning that uh, Dish is just heading into a big fight with Tegna over their channel so this is yeah. definitely not done yeah. yet well and Tegna's Tegna's only a broad I mean not only but Tegna is a broadcast not even a cable and broadcast you know I was thinking more about the joint owners the Viacoms and the yeah. others of the world yeah. when you have both cable Absolutely. and broadcast channels that's creates a whole new dimension. And of course, these virtual MVPDs are trying to keep a lid on their expenses, Colin, YouTube TV, Hulu, etc. They are desperately trying to keep a lid on how much they pay for these networks um, to avoid the very same problem that the traditional pay TV operators have gotten into with these bloated channel lineups and bloated costs to end subscribers. So it's, it's a tough one, but I think at least at least for now, uh, the NBC Universal U2 TV situation is back on the rails. Yeah, yeah, it looks to be that way. And one thing we don't know is if Peacock was ever involved in the negotiations. So they certainly didn't make any statement that Peacock was going to be available to YouTube TV subscribers uh, in, in the announcement that the deal was done. So my suspicion is if it was in, it certainly isn't in now. Uh, so well, I guess we'll have uh, to wait and see where what actually happens. But uh, uh, I probably, if you were, if you're a YouTube TV user and were holding out hope that you will get access to Peacock Premium, you could be waiting a lot longer. I have a feeling that that trial balloon, if it was ever floated by NBC Universal, and it, and it may have been, who knows, got shot down in nanoseconds by the YouTube TV side. That idea never stood a chance of seeing the light of day. So, um, you know, Comcast, NBC Universal, Peacock, 
they're going to have to make their own way. They're not going to be able to muscle any of these, um, especially not these virtual MVPDs, into carrying Peacock Premium. That's I don't think that's going to happen ever, Colin. Um, now they're going to do a whole lot of other things, create great originals, and you know keep riding off of Flex and you know Xfinity and everything else. But uh, I don't think anybody, any operator, is going to be forced to take YouTube. Uh, sorry, to take Peacock Premium. That's just my feeling. I no. could be wrong. I could be totally I wrong. I, I think I agree with you. Anyway, let's move on to the next story, Colin. We don't spend too much time on YouTube TV and NBC Universal, um, but to stay with the Google uh, theme, this week or maybe it was last week. I've kind of even lost track of this a little bit, but um, Google Fiber, rest in peace. 11, 12 years later, that's going the way of the dodo bird. Talk about that. Well, Google Fiber isn't going away of the dodo bird, but Fiber TV is. All right, is. Fiber TV. Sorry, I misspoke just a little right. bit. Fair enough. Right. And uh, that in itself, I think, is pretty significant because, of course, when Google Fiber launched uh, a decade ago, it, it was basically unthinkable for them to launch without having a pay TV solution. And they went out and they did all the deals that they needed to do with all the broadcasters and all the cable channels to be able to put together a creditable pay TV system called Google Fiber, Fiber TV rather, to which it provided to its customers with a set-top box and, you know, just, just the way that uh, pay TV was, was traditionally provided. But they are retiring it, and uh, they made a formal announcement about that last week, at the end of last week. And I thought one, one statement really stuck out to me well. They said, traditional TV is expensive and outdated, so we're working to upgrade our customers to streaming options and will ultimately retire fiber TV in all markets. And they're in about nine markets, I think. Uh, what are they doing? Well, they're giving those people who had Fiber TV, they're going to give them a, a Chromecast with Google TV. And of course, they can, if they want, subscribe to YouTube TV on that box, which is nicely integrated. Or Sling TV, which is actually also pretty nicely integrated with Google TV on, on uh, Chromecast. So they had, certainly had plenty of options if they want to continue to receive traditional TV. And uh, I think it's fair to say they have the bandwidth with uh, one, gigabit, uh, one, one gigabit of bandwidth. They probably have plenty of bandwidth to watch whatever they want. And uh, they can even get 4K, right? The YouTube TV is even trialing delivering 4K channels. So uh, that they, it doesn't seem to me like they are losing very much. Customers of Google are losing very much in the shuttering of fiber tv and i know this is google and i know they would be a a, a leader they'd certainly lead in in a move in this direction but the fact that they can do it and not worry about losing their broadband customers i think is a significant move i you know there's a lot to unpack there colin um i I am not sure at all that Google being in the broadband delivery business in the U.S. at least with a wired fiber network is the right business for them to be in. Um, I mean, I actually went back and looked at my February 10th, 2010 post on Google's fiber to the home experiment. 
Um, and at the time, I was estimating based on their saying that their target for the gigabit service was between 50,000 and 500,000 um, and running the numbers on that, that that could be a $750 million experiment, which even for Google is a fair chunk of change. Within five years, they had basically decided to phase out the TV service, which never made any sense at all. Um, but the broadband service seems to have continued on. I still, Colin, have to, um, I, I just, I mean, let me just try to collect my thoughts here a little bit. I don't understand why, I don't understand why most people, most houses, most households in America need a um, gigabit uh, type of service. That still, even with COVID and everything else, seems like way overpowering what people's needs actually are. Um, so that skepticism from my skepticism from 11 years ago, still 11 and a half years ago, is still pretty much intact. The only other element that I would add that makes me even more skeptical of why Google should be in this business, in other words, why they shouldn't be in this business, is that 5G is happening and it's right around the corner. And when 5G really rolls, then there are going to be a whole lot of people out there who realize they don't even need a landline broadband connection at all. They are only going to go with their 5G and that's going to become their broadband in their home. So why does Google need to be in the business of providing broadband access in America? I just... I don't really understand that. I don't really understand what the value add to Google is, nor even what the value add to subscribers is to have a gigabit. Do, do you? I mean, does that make sense to you? Or am I like totally missing something here? So at the time when Google got into the business, um, I don't know if you remember this, there was a lot of arguments about net neutrality and um, at that time, there were the sort of ground rules of net neutrality that um, that, that were out there, and and operators didn't like them, and they claimed it was a disincentive for them to invest in their networks, and they 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 weren't investing in them in their networks very much. And I think what Google wait felt wait hang was, on wait, Colin, got to interrupt you there for a second. Cable TV operators have been investing heavily in updating their broadband networks and the bandwidth and capacity. They've been doing that they since certainly have. I was in the cable business 25 years ago. I don't, I don't think it would be fair to say that they were not investing in 2010, 2011. I just wanted to jump in there quickly and clarify that, Colin. Um, so, I, I, well, I, what I can tell you is that at the time when Google entered, nobody was offering anything like one gigabit to the home. Because nobody the, needed it. <laughs> <laughs> that Sorry. broadband rates broadband rates were considerably lower than they are to, are today, and that contention more importantly contention rates were much higher. So uh, you know if you had a cable modem and were ostensibly getting I don't know what you would have been getting at the time fifty. The problem was that in the evenings it was highly contended and you probably couldn't get sustained 50, you probably couldn't get sustained 20. So I think what Google, uh, the reason Google entered the market was that they wanted to push the technology forward. And the simple reason that they wanted to do that was that 
Google does a great job of monetizing internet connect, internet connectivity. So driving driving and forcing other operators to upgrade their systems further to faster and faster connections, Google saw as an advantage for it, it as a company. Now, fast forward to today, what we haven't seen is we haven't seen an emergence of another technology like, uh, for example, virtual reality or augmented reality that takes a huge amount of bandwidth. We also haven't seen a massive rollout yet of multiple 4K or 8K video streams, which would also take a lot of bandwidth and will probably push us up into that sort of region, at least two or 300 sustained megabits per second. Um, so we really haven't seen that in that period. You could be right that 5G um, will somewhat alleviate the need for physical connections. Although I will say there is still some, there is bandwidth limitations with 5G as well. It is after all a shared wireless wireless technology, which would probably limit it if we all switched to 5G, I doubt that we'd all be able to get a one gigabit connection. There just simply isn't enough bandwidth there. Um, so, so all of those things lead me to believe that the investment that they made in the one gigabit network in the in the neighborhoods that they made them in, um, well, yeah, it was certainly a lot of money, but there was some very good reasoning behind why they felt it was important to do it. And, uh, you know, broadband rates of uh, broadband speeds have gone up dramatically and contention has gone down. Um, although I think that's probably more because of the emergence of SVOD and streaming video and streaming television than anything else. So you could be right. I don't it, it may be time for Google to sort of step up, step out of this business and sell off its systems. I don't know. Uh, but right now they're continuing to stay in the game and they're not expanding them, but they're also not shutting them down. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, I feel like I must be completely missing something because while you were talking, I just did a speed test on my own connection here in my house and I'm getting 40 megabit downstream and five megabit upstream from my, uh, Xfinity service. And we've had four people, not right now, but we've had, you know, my wife and two uh, college age kids at home throughout COVID. Not right now. They're back in school. But um, we've all been, you know, sitting on that broadband all day long, all night long with a 40 megabit connection, 40 megabit per second connection. And nobody in my house has ever come to me and I would be the person that they would come to <laughs> and say, our internet sucks. We need to do something. I can't do my Zoom. I can't do my homework. I can't attend class. I can't stream Netflix. I can't whatever. So a gigabit, if I'm doing the math right, is 25 times 40 megabit service. 25 times. Who out there needs 25 times that amount of service? I mean, I could see somebody needing 100 megabit maybe 200 megabit possibly, but like a gigabit, we'll, we'll, who needs that right will, now? <laughs> who needs that? So we probably should, we probably should move on to another topic, but I'm just going to say one thing. The <laughs> history is littered with people saying, 
Who could possibly no, no, no. need that much disk space? Colin, Who could Colin, possibly need not, but Colin, that to much be fair, bandwidth? But Colin, to be fair, that's not what I said. <laughs> I did not say who could ever. What I said was who right now in 2021, never mind 2010, right now in 2021, how many households need a one gigabit per second service? And what I would say to you at the risk of really sounding too definitive, I'd be shocked if there was more than 1% of households out there that felt they couldn't get by with, with, with less than a one gigabit service. You, you could be right. I could but be, I could be, I don't ne know. Networks, networks are not built out overnight. You have to build for the future. Google has built a network for the future in four years' time. If the Olympics is if the Olympics is broadcast in 4K and 8K, 8K. and streamed in 4K and 8K, those people on on those networks will be happy as clams, and you, my friend, will not. And my last question to you, Colin, is: Four years from now, how many households will even have a device capable? Never mind a network, a device capable of processing an 8K stream. More than 1%, 2%, 5%? I mean, yeah, maybe not. We're, we're most so houses, deep into the realm of the most, theoretical here, Colin. It's, it's Most insane. houses will have 4K. And I promise you, <laughs> if you've got two or three people trying to watch a 4, 4K streams on your 40 meg, it will choke. All right, let's so, get back. Let's, fair enough. Let's, let's observe <laughs> what you just said and let's move on because there is a problem right here in the here and now happening in the broadcast TV industry, which is that ratings are way down this season. And yeah. you were going to get us started on that one. So let's get off of Google. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I guess this is kind of related to Google, right? Because what, what is being reported is that the 2021-2022 TV season um, is not doing very well in ratings. It's about 20% down, um, according to Nielsen's measurements, which is they're doing live plus seven. So that's uh, the, the live program plus seven day, the seven day w viewing window afterwards. And uh, apparently if you take sports out of that, uh, it's down 19%. So it sounds like sports may be actually pushing pushing that even more, maybe down even more. So average audience apparently is about 4.8 million if you take sports out and 5.1 million if you include sports into that. So uh, that's a pretty big decline. Um, top, top shows, well, NCIS, isn't it amazing? NCIS is still so popular. Yeah. Uh, 16.9 million viewers. Um, so that that's um, that's pretty pretty interesting, but you know for the most shows, uh, they're seeing big drops. And the reason they reporting over 2019, of course, was 2020 was an aberrant year because we really didn't have a full season because of COVID. So, uh, but uh, two years and we're down 20 percent. That's a big drop. And that's on top of prior drops, by the way. It wasn't like Indeed it wasn't it like 2019 was you know up. 25% kind of thing. This is, I haven't looked at the chart. I mean, if you looked at the five-year chart, the 10-year chart on ratings. Yeah, I mean, I do, I do track those, I do track those numbers pretty, pretty closely, Will. And I can tell you, you know, the 18 to 24s, 
They just don't watch TV. They're out. They're, they're out. Period. Ve- they're out. Period. It's very, very low average viewership amongst that. They're down to about an hour a day when the average is still around four, apparently. So according to Nielsen, so uh, I would imagine it's even even lower now. Uh, but but will I mean this is is this <laughs> is this any surprise? Look at the fuss that's being made over Squid Game on Netflix. Um, and Ted Lasso's having a great run on Apple TV. If, if you want to watch what's really great to watch, you got to be streaming these days. Well, so that's not fair. Is... That's not fair, Colin. That, that's not a fair statement. You've got to be streaming. I mean, there's plenty of stuff still on cable and broadcast that a lot of people really enjoy. That's not to say they don't also enjoy stuff on streaming, but there's a lot of stuff on cable and broadcast that people like to watch. Come on. Yeah, but you look at a top show like NCIS. Is that burning burning up social media? No. Squid Games is. Yeah, but who cares about social media? <laughs> We're talking about NCIS gets, what's the number? 16, 17 million people, households to watch every week? What was that number yep. again? NCIS is. That's a good, no, that's 12 a, and that's a half. good number. It says 12 and a half. CBS NCIS is once again the best at 12 and a half million. They get 12 and a half million every week, Colin. What else is getting 12 and a half million at the exact time? Literally, not talking about VOD, talking about right at the time of. Actually, seven day. I'm sorry, that's linear, that's L7. That was L7. That, that wasn't a fair statement I just made. L7, 12 and a half million. Is Netflix doing well, that? Well, here's the is thing. Netflix doing we, that on any really, show? We kind of don't know, do we? <laughs> We kind of don't know. That's the beauty, uh, Because right? it's not reported. <laughs> and and the short answer is, I, I think they probably are, Will. I think they probably are. I mean, Netflix is watched by more people. That service is used by more people than all of, basically, well, I was going to say all of pay TV, but all of traditional pay TV. And all right. It's in so many homes all right, so Colin, that it can number, drive numbers that are unbelievable. All right, well, the numbers, let's just say 12 million. If Netflix has 200 million subs worldwide, that means that they have to get 5 to 6%, 7% of their sub base to watch an individual episode, an individual episode of a new show that they drop. So does The Crown get 12.5 million people watching? in the first seven days past its drop? Maybe it does. I don't know. I, I'm not saying I even know or even have, yeah, I have a guess I don't at. know either. You think they get 5 to 6% watching The know. Crown or watching Lupin or watching Stranger Things in the first seven days? Maybe not. Maybe I don't know. Maybe not those shows. I don't know. But, well, um, but those are their best shows. Those are their most popular shows. If they're not no, getting in on one know. of those shows, then what are they getting it for? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I, I don't mean to belabor, but you know, even at those down ratings, those top shows on cable and broadcast are still nothing to sneeze at. You know, they're way down, but they're still nothing to just write uh, off. So, I didn't want to. I certainly didn't want to belittle the shows. <laughs> but what I did want to, what the point I was making, will, is that there is so much great content now in streaming. Yeah. That you, if you want to be quote in the zeitgeist, you gotta be streaming. Streaming. And uh, maybe you've got Hulu so that you can continue to watch NCIS and 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 all of the other great shows that are that are on broadcast. And right. The bottom line here all is right. you can watch it all on streaming now. Fair enough. Um, 
<laughs> let's move on to, speaking of streaming, let's move on to our last full item for the week, and then we'll do our last uh, little half item for the week. Cantar released data this week uh, that says, I'm going to read from the first line of the email that I received with the data, Consum- quote, consumers are not so much canceling streaming services as, quote, surfing them going from one service to another, according to a Q2 analysis from Kantar Entertainment On Demand Service. So what Kantar is saying is that overall, SVOD overall, churn is relatively flat and actually decreased a little bit from Q1 to Q2. Peacock had the highest rate of churn in Q2 at 13%, and saving money is still considered the top reason for canceling an SVOD service. If we look closer at the data, Peacock's churn rate, at least according to Kantar, from Q1 to Q2, actually declined from 15, I'm sorry, from 15% to 13%, but that was still the highest in the industry. Apple had 15% churn, Apple TV Plus had 15% churn in Q1, but dropped to 9% in Q2 of 2021. Um, Just scanning the rest of them, they're all in single digits in terms of churn rate. Netflix is at 4% in Q2, Hulu's at 5%, if I'm reading this right, HBO Max at 5%, Disney's at 6%, Peacock uh, is, Peacock Fast is at 9%. So anyway, um, you know, I think my quick takeaway on that is that SVOD as an industry is holding up pretty well. That, I think, aligns with what you were just saying about the zeitgeist but individual players are having different levels of success. Um, Peacock seems, if you believe the Kantar data, to be having the toughest time holding on to its subscribers, while services like Amazon and Netflix seem to be having the best time holding on to their customers. No surprise there in a way, I think, right, Colin? No, no, and of course, um, Amazon comes with a built-in advantage right. because, of course, there's no incentive to cancel because people still want their want their free shipping, don't yeah. they? And their free uh, so, and their music, by the way. I don't know about you, but and, and their I'm music. Listening so you to, kind of, I'm listening to Prime Music all the time now. Uh, I'm not, but uh, so so yeah, it's 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 no surprise. But you know, I I think services like. Um, Hulu and Netflix, they are really are com- commanding people's loyalty. Um, I, I would not cancel either of those services. I find them both very useful at the moment and I use them a lot. Um, funnily enough, Amazon Prime, if it were standalone, I might not keep because there's uh, I go there a lot less for Amazon exclusive, exclusive videos than I seem to go to, to other places. Um, so yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all that uh, that those are, are lower. Um, Peacock is an interesting one, right? Because uh, that that all that content appears somewhere else, and so that's you know there, uh, there was some real good data actually, which showed that there was a very very high overlap, say between Peacock and Hulu, for example. So that probably is one of the reasons why they're experiencing such high churn. So they haven't got as much exclusive content as other services. And that's why people are feeling like they can jump and if they've got Hulu, which many people have, uh, they can continue to watch the shows that they love there. Uh, so maybe that's, that's, that's a testament to the fact that keeping, keeping your best content for yourself is the best way to hang on to your subscribers. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that's exactly what it is. <laughs> Great content equals 
great retention. It's kind of not more complicated than that, assuming price is you know not a variable, right? That's that's right. That's right. And I should I should mention that um, duplicated data uh, study was actually done by Real Good. Very very good. Very interesting study. So if people want to learn more about that, just come to my site and um, you can find the you can find that there. Just search on Real Good. Well, finally, Colin, um, we've got a little game of musical chairs going on in our industry. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't we just? We have a game of musical chairs going on. This week, Kelly Campbell, who is the president of um, Disney, I'm sorry, of Hulu, <laughs> spoke, uh, president of Hulu, switched to become the president of Peacock. Meanwhile, Gadon Katz, who was at Peacock, has become the head of product at Roku. And prior to that, in a piece of news that I had not even caught, I have to completely admit, just a few months ago, our friend Jim Denny, who was, I think, originally known to us when he was at TiVo and was then at Roku, moved over to Peacock back in April. And that's just scratching the surface. There's lots of other musical chairs going on in the industry. And... Um, you know, one thing that says to me, Colin, is that I think that the industry has now kind of reached a point at which there are X number, a finite X number of senior executives who really understand this stuff and have deep experience building out services who are in very high demand because though lots of young people like to say you can quote Google experience. I'm sure you've heard that term before. <laughs> there is no Googling experience. Experience is by definition experience. And some of these executives who I just mentioned have deep experience, are very respected in the field. We know a lot of these folks together um, over many years and they are in high demand, which is you know, not unexpected, right? Yeah, yeah, not unexpected at all. And I'd like to say, I mean, I just both you and I both know Jim, Jim Denny, who, uh, as as you said, started out at TiVo, and he's a bright guy. It's a great, great opportunity for him, and it's a great hire, I think, for them. He's he's a great guy, so they'll they'll do well with that. But you're absolutely right. This is a completely new business. Unfortunately, some of the people that are associated with the old TV world just uh, don't know enough about the new TV world, I think, to take over the helm of some of these emerging uh, huge services in our lives. And uh, yeah, the, that's why these guys are commanding these big salaries, I bet, when they move into these high, high profile places. But Will, come on, would you take would you take that role as head of Peacock? What a stressful, what a stressful job. I don't know if I'd want to do that. Well, fortunately, you weren't offered that role, Colin, so you didn't have to have to make that. Choice. <laughs> <laughs> um, Thank you for stating the obvious there. Will. Yeah. Thank you so much. That's a that's a hypothetical <laughs> question that I would not be prepared to answer. Um, you know, I guess I would say that these are positions of enormous responsibility with yeah. e enormous consequences on these companies stock prices, their valuations, the ripple effect that this has on many different employees, thousands of employees, net worths in the form of their shareholdings in these companies. These are 
these are big time roles with big time responsibility and big time stress. And I guess all I would say is that, you know, if somebody wants those kinds of roles, a Kelly or a Gidon or a Jim, you know, all the power to them, because I think it's an enormous commitment to take on a role like that. And if that's what these folks are ready and willing to do, and, and obviously they're very, they're being very well compensated to take these roles, then I think it's great because in a sense, all of us consumers are the beneficiaries of their experience and willingness to take these roles because they make their services better and all of us ultimately benefit from that. So, you know, hey, everybody's an adult, they make their own decisions, uh, but I think we all benefit in one way or another. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I think that means that we're going to have lots to be talking about in the coming months and weeks. But Absolutely, I think Colin. We are pretty much, pretty much just about out of time yeah, today. It's... Man, you 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 were you were in a feisty mood today. Well, well Colin, I was just about to say that it's very rare for us to be so um, on separate pages. Usually, we tend to see the world in relatively similar ways, but Google Fiber, Fiber TV, whatever you want to call it, is clearly one of those rare topics that we look at very differently. So, hey, I hope that's, you know, entertaining and valuable to our listeners to hear us debate these things. Um, And let's keep it in perspective. We're not curing cancer here. This is just... Just, just business. Let's not get too wrapped up and wrapped business. up around the axle. That's, that's right. Although I have to say, I've been jealous of Provo and Kansas City because, man, if Google had offered Google Fiber here, I would have signed up. And what would you have done with that, Colin? What would you have done with a gig oh, of that? Good lord! Oh, I would have felt. I would have felt great. Don't worry about it. Well, I would have felt great. Whatever. Hey, Colin. Whatever turns you on, man. Whatever turns you on. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Exactly. Well, listen. Great chatting as always and uh, to be continued next week, of course. And thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. And we will see you all again next week. Inside the Stream is a production of InScreen Media and Video News. All rights reserved. 